You're listening to Sprogcast, a podcast for people interested in pregnancy, birth, infant feeding and early parenting. Sprogcast is presented by Mark Harris and Karen Hall and sponsored by Pinter and Martin. Today's Sprogcast, which is number 38, is all about working together, in which I pester many members of the Maternity Voices Partnership in Reading to tell us why they take part in it. Um, Mark interviews maternity advocate Paul Golden and... Bronwyn Rashad gives us the rundown on the Mama Conference. I'm Karen Hall. That's Mark Harris. Broadcast is brought to you by our sponsor, Pinter and Martin, an independent publishing company specialising in pregnancy, birth and parenting, psychology, nutrition, yoga and fiction at pinterandmartin.com. I just want to say about the um, why home birth matters. Now, I know we've mentioned this on the last, I think this is the third episode in a row we've mentioned why home birth matters. And I still haven't read it, but I did have it with me when I went to a really good NCT weekend recently. And at breakfast, one of my colleagues said, Karen, what's the best book on home birth at the moment? And I said, I don't know if this one is, but could you just read it? And she read it on the Saturday evening, gave it back to me on the Sunday and said, yes, that is a good book. Oh, and do you trust her? Oh, yeah, definitely somebody I would I would respect to give me a good All view right. on that and really knows more much more about that subject than I do that's good I thought you were going to say you put it under your pillow at night and hope that by osmosis I used to do that when I was revising for exams <laughs> right I've always done very cool. well in exams so I think that probably works I, I have you down as a bit of a, a geek when <laughs> it comes to studying what do you mean by that well I, I got kicked out of school you know that so you would have been in a category of people uh, when I was that age of SWATs. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. I still am. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so today's subject is working together. Um, yeah. Which is so appropriate for this broadcast because we've got you, a midwife, and me, a breastfeeding counsellor and antenatal teacher. And some might say that those aren't a natural pairing. Get out. Really? Do you not think? Well, I think that depends on which midwife and which breastfeeding counsellor, frankly. So have you never heard a midwife go, oh, well, if you've been to NCT and you've got your laminated birth plan? Yes, I have. Uh, Often, not all midwives, obviously, but often. But have you ever heard an NCT counsellor say, God, you know those midwives? I wouldn't say heard it out loud. Uh, you're, you're prevaricating a no, little I'm bit. No, I'm not. You've but never heard there are many, that. many times when one or other of us, including myself, will have thought that. Yeah, and raised your eyebrows, shrugged your shoulders and sighed deeply. On the inside? No, it happens on the outside. Well, I... So, okay, so that's... I'm only speaking for myself, but I would say that I, I very much try to do what I call a face freeze. You are so politically correct, you are. I know you're only speaking for yourself. Um... All I'm suggesting is that, that I, I'm guessing that NCT practitioners, some of them, feel the same way uh, in terms of their emotions. Obviously, they are pointing their emotions at midwives. Well, yes, but a big part of our training and a big part of our assessing is about not expressing bias. Do you think a big part of uh, midwifery training is expressing your bias? Of course it's not about them expressing bias, but I wonder if perhaps they don't have quite so much on not doing it. Oh, well, I can't speak to current training, so I can't defend anything. I have no desire to. And I don't want this to come across as an attack on midwives. I'm just aware that we don't always work well together. 
you know, I, I don't want this to be construed as me attacking NCT. I'm just pointing out that probably at a values level, both groups have pretty much everything or most things in common. But yeah. how it works out on the ground sometimes is very different. Well, we're all making assumptions. So, so your assumption is the military training doesn't include much in terms of, or not as much as the NCT training when it comes to giving truly unbiased, informed choice, not putting your judgments on others and all that kind of stuff. I think right? it's more around kind of being aware of language in a way that you very much are. And you know, because you've just told me how politically correct I am, that we, yeah, you we think very deeply about what words, what impact. And sometimes I've, I've had this call in this week where a couple on the phone to me with their three-day-old baby saying she came, she weighed the baby and she told us we were doing it wrong. And we felt awful. I, I, I hear that. I hear that a lot. And I think it's testament to the NHS Trust in Gloucester um, that you know they're bringing me to the trust to do a whole day on language. Mm. So, so I think I think there is some recognition. Not that I'm an expert, I am somewhat of a specialist. But, but it's there not is about some... being an expert. It's just about making people aware and giving them time to reflect on the words they use. Yeah, I think that. But I, I do think that when I conduct this kind of workshop, there is an element of specialism mm -hmm. in the context of how language works. Yeah, well, that's why they um, asked you. Of course, of course. <laughs> so why was it interesting to talk to Paul Golden? Why did you want to bring him in? Oh, I like him, the first reason, and I have a connection with him. He's been a midwife over 30 years, and I'd never met him until six weeks ago. That's the first thing. I was staggered. Here's a man who is really the forerunner, uh, him and Paul Lewis, of men going into midwifery. So that was the first thing. Secondly, everything he's involved with kind of resonates with me. You know, I can see how um, uh, we would get on so well. He's, he's involved with mediation. He has a law background. He supports midwives that are going through disciplinary investigations. He offers mediation between teams. He brings people together. He has a particular emphasis on language. Uh, he loves the model of NVC. Um, they're all the things. And, and his, uh, the interview with him did not let me down. Do you want to explain NVC, just in case anyone is Googling? Do, do you know, I had an experiment this week. I, um, I did a Facebook Live on Sprogcast about my enthusiasm from last month. And I think I might do that once a month, with your permission, Karen. <laughs> do what you like. <laughs> and my enthusiasm last month was a book by Marshall Rosenberg uh, on the model MVC, which stands for Nonviolent Communication. Thank you. And it's a, it's a way of talking um, that brings peace. Do you think I should try harder at it? You? No, <laughs> you've got to stay the same as you are. <laughs> Let's Geeky listen. Karen. Let's listen to Paul. Paul, thank you very much for making time for us today could you kind of kick us off by giving us a, a bio or an introduction to yourself and your background okay I've been a midwife for a very long time prior to that I did neonatal and paediatric nursing and I've worked in the UK New Zealand Australia mostly and now I'm based a lot in Europe so I get to visit other countries do some teaching 
with the midwifery goes mediation. So I'm always looking at how to improve systems in hospitals or relationships between midwives and their clients, other midwives, medical profession. And people keep me busy by inviting me to things or to write on things or to give advice on things. So another big area is regulatory law like the NMC, where I will support registrants, particularly if they are representing themselves, I will help them with their case. So quite a variety of things. I also yeah, travel around and do other completely different things. Right, I've had a look at your CV and uh, it's connected but eclectic if it's possible to be that. <laughs> I try to remember that, connected but eclectic. I know, yeah. it's, it's, an oxy, it's oxymoronic I think. But you know, there, there is a sense in which you have lots of varied interests but there's a, there's a common theme of connecting people through it all. Yeah, I see body work and natural therapies tied in with everything. In fact, I see an interrelatedness. So everything affects everything. If I'm in Korea studying homeopathy or acupuncture, and then I meet somebody from Russia that invites me to India, that knows my next door neighbor in England, you know, it's all connected. Yeah, yeah, very quantum. And, and you haven't mentioned a couple of things. Uh, first of all, you're one of two. I'm a twin and the father of twins. Yeah, identical twin, are you? All of us, all four of us are identical to each other. Wow, so mon monozygotic twins. If we put labels on things, I just call it kind of magical, <laughs> mysterious, amazing. Life. I know, I know. And also, you didn't mention you'd studied law at Oxford. Yeah, that was Oxford Brooks and Open University plus mediation masters, not yet finished, in New Zealand, Auckland University. And the law has run its thread throughout my career in healthcare because nurses and midwives need to advocate for their clients and that brings them sometimes into a difficult position with their employer or others. Mm. You don't say. You, you mean the tension between an institution's guidelines and a, and a woman's sense of wanting to make a choice? And, and yeah, somebody says, oh, she doesn't want that or she would rather have such and such. Okay, the person that said that becomes the problem. They often find when they've advocated something a short time later that they find their work cancelled or they're discontinued in their employment or a strange complaint materialises when they have been done. There's no evidence, but then they have to defend a complaint or even a referral to the NMC. And one example was somebody, they, she raised concerns about lack of staff. The next week they said, oh, she was drunk on duty last week. It's difficult for her to defend, you know, from a negative point of view. She wasn't drunk. And there would, have, there would have been no evidence anyway, I'm assuming. Yeah, and this is the key word. If there's something to come out from the people listening to this interview is show me the evidence. Yeah. So these key words, show me the evidence, mean the other side really have to prove their case. Mm. It's not always for the registrant to prove their innocence, for the midwife to say, I didn't do such and such, as it can be impossible to prove it or disprove a negative. Yeah, no, I get it. Although the uh, the standard applied in these cases is the balance of probability, not not beyond reasonable doubt. Am I right in that? Yes, that can. I mean, generally, that's made it harder for midwives and nurses. Uh, that changed from the higher burden of proof quite some years ago. There was a lot of controversy about changing it. And organisations such as the NMC feel they need it to be this lower burden of proof for them to prove the midwife probably did make this error 
they can always find an error or something missing in the note. Well, let's let's be honest, Paul. If a policeman followed me for 400 miles driving my car, I would get a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. Even for 10 miles. You know, they, they, if people scrutinise other people's lives, yeah. it's very out of balance that the midwife gets so scrutinised so they can do all the best they can yeah. and they can still be deregistered or suspended or yeah. sanctioned some way. Only 10 miles. You've, you've obviously seen me drive, Paul. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> the taillight. I can see it. <laughs> well, the tension you speak about is a very real one within the NHS. I mean, I, I remember back when I was practicing in the NHS, I was constantly feeling a sense of deep stress and anxiety, if I'm honest, uh, as I sought to support what women were saying they wanted you know whether it was they didn't want routine vaginal examinations or they they didn't want an arbitrary limit on the second stage and and I constantly felt that I was in opposition to uh, core staff or management staff there can be a hen pecking this is our culture at this place this is what we do you go to another place they've got a similar culture and there's a desire by mammals and the human animal to fit in yeah. So you go to a new place, it's no good saying how it was at the old place, so you try to fit in, but if you speak up for the woman and say, oh, she doesn't want that, she'd rather have this, suddenly that person becomes the problem. And it changes when you've got two or three of you, yeah. and it can become the norm at that place. So one place treats, uh, say, water birth as witchcraft. Another place gets one person advocating. She has two or three supporters, and then it snowballs, yes. and it becomes the norm there. And the other place, decades later, might still be treating uh, water birth in a negative frame. Yeah, so, I, so what you're saying is the phenomena rooted in kind of the evolutionary model of us being social animals, that principle can work either way. Yeah, it's up to us to create positive environments. We'll often say how bad something is, so change it. Yeah. Well, how do we change it? We do it by changing ourselves and our attitude. Instead of saying what's bad or wrong, we can say what we would like. Yeah, I get that. I, I am thinking about the Morecambe Bay incident, though. You know, where there okay. was there, where there was such an emphasis, inverted commas, on inverted commas normal birth, that the emphasis right. itself seems to have become a little bit pathological. It can. Anything at an extreme can become unhealthy. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that leads me on to talk a little bit about uh, something that's quite pertinent. Uh, in our domain at the moment which is kind of bullying okay because it's an allied conversation in a way isn't it yeah because i can imagine there are a a lot of midwives out there that are advocating for women that are working inside institutions that that they feel are repressive and we've seen an increase in you know allegations of bullying Do, 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 do you have much experience in that area Definitely of supporting people, and I'm aware myself, I'm fairly robust if I raise some advocacy aspect for a client that, you know, work can be discontinued. So that's a form of bullying because people have power and control over money. There's bigger uh, subjects such as cord cell banking. If that's taking place in one hospital and the hospital gets financial gain from it, they don't see the conflict of interest. And if a family are feeling coerced, and we need informed consent to be truly informed. Yeah. Excuse the background noise. And I'm actually at a, um, a swimming club sports centre. You were talking about core bloods. Well, when there's conflicts of interest and power, money, control things, 
it tends to be more powerful than the individual who gets told, we don't want you to work at this place. Yeah. So you have midwives with great experience, 10, 20, 30 years, told they're not really welcome, simply because they will have raised the question. And um, that's a form of bullying. The ways to address bullying, I would suggest, is actually being kind to the bullier. I, well, I noticed on your CV that, that you, you do work with uh, people who may have that label of bully. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Um, so to mediate, which is a strong part of my work, is actually working with ourselves to be positive, to mediate with ourselves, to be with ourselves, just as a midwife is with woman. We might want to love and protect the woman, and then we're ready to fight uh, against other people who have different views and opinions. Actually, if we can treat everyone with the same kindness we would give to the labouring and birthing woman, mm. we would begin to understand each other better mm. and de-escalate situations. Yeah. For me, one word is kindness. Yeah. We can just be kinder to ourselves. And then somebody that disagrees with us, instead of reacting, we could consider our response, take time, maybe take some advice, come back to them with a kind attitude. And that often comes from knowledge and empowerment that we've you know, read around the subject, we know, or got in touch with our feelings, we know where we're at with the subject. And even the way we hold our body language, our chin, the tilt of our head, yes. will convey a positive attitude and a neutral, non-aggressive one. Yes. Because we're being kind to ourselves, we can be kind to the person, in theory, like attacking us or discrediting us. Because we will get what we give. Yeah. So if we react to them like, well, no, I'm right, you're wrong, instead of let's find a place where we can reach some agreement and some agreement is usually let's eat and drink together. Let's mm. sit side by side instead of across from a table pointing fingers. Mm. Let's find agreement to have a meeting. And then you're halfway to reaching an agreement if you simply agree to have the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a pattern of agreement becoming established. Yeah. And you could call it like modeling. And yeah. modeling is a strong word. This is in contrast to a lot of the vocabulary I hear what they did to me, they've ruined my life, my career, yes. my profession. Yes. They're making me work this unreasonable situation. They're doing this. We always have choice. Yes. I've you know, researched and looked at people that have been imprisoned, sometimes by uh, FARC rebels in South America or you know, in Beirut, different situations. They've got no power. They feel powerless. And then they realize they actually still have choice. Yeah. Doesn't feel like choice though, Paul, does it? You know, you often hear people say, I have to work here. Like, and, and, and it doesn't occur yeah. to them as a choice. So maybe they can explore this feeling of what it is that they think makes them have to work there. What are their options? Yeah. And there are always options, even if it seems like a hard option to leave. Yes. It can, the people that have left have found a great deal of freedom. Midwife's registered and works as a doula. She's got a great deal of freedom that she didn't have before. Right. Sometimes I'll say to people very gently in the context of rapport, I, I'll, I'll say, so you work here because, and then at first they'll say, I have to. And I say, okay, well, just try this. You choose to work here because, and then it all comes out. They, they say things like, I need, I need the money to feed my family. or yeah. and, and suddenly, uh, you know, it comes out and new choices emerge. That open questioning style is, is very helpful to people. And we can all do it for ourselves. Why are we doing what we're doing? 
what are the options? Yeah. Paul, I've already had you for 15 minutes and I just want to give you an opportunity to tell us about some of the things you're doing uh, in the UK and uh, elsewhere. Okay, thank you, Matt. NMC hearings is something I will look at and always turn things around. So I suggest challenge the challenger with kindness and education. So the NMC is a little bit like the Crown Prosecution Service, but they have their own court and they set up a panel that, that they say is independent from them, but it's very much tied in with the NMC. This wouldn't happen the same way in civil courts. So the NMC is very kind of skewered. One might say biased. Right. They, are strug- they struggle and they acknowledge that they're making failings. And, and, and we, don't, we don't have the filtering system of regional supervision now. No. There was good and bad about supervision, Absolutely, but um, yeah. people have to go more directly to the NMC now. They think they do. So somebody with a concern will get advice from the NMC and things should be screened out. But the people screening things are not high enough decision level making sort of knowledge, ability. So they're passing things further up. The person further up thinks, well, if it's come to me, it probably needs a case to be heard. Yes. Then they pass it on to barristers and they're funded and appointed to come and represent the NMC at a hearing. So they're going to do the best they can. And one end of the extreme is always strike the midwife off or at least suspend her. She may have potentially uh, just simply disagreed with a, a colleague. And they're saying, but that could lead to death or something. And it has. And so it's so exaggerated. This would never get this far in civil courts because the court would want to look at evidence and the weight of the evidence, the credibility, and to test the evidence. That's not happening in the NMC. So it's up to the registrant to really turn the tables and gently challenge, ask questions. Where is the evidence? Who's written it? Have they made this similar complaint repeatedly? Are they a vexatious complainant? Uh, to look at the quality of the evidence against them. It's not all about their defense. They really need to look at the accuser and the accusations, that's how they can build a much more robust case uh, more quickly and maybe get it thrown out at screening. Right. And if it has to go to a hearing, um, the work they do by turning the tables will be very effective. But people are afraid to be seen as aggressive by turning the tables, that they meant to show insight and remorse, even if they haven't done anything wrong. Because initially I was going to say the resource people have is deep inside themselves to to move away from the victim thing, to meditate, go read some positive language books like NLP or anything else. NVC, me, we've spoken about yeah, NVC as well. Communication, uh, online YouTube, they can watch great clips. Uh, there's a three-hour one of Marshall Rosenberg, Violent Communication. Highly recommended. You don't have to pay for a course or a book. No. Click YouTube and you can teach yourself. So contacting me, LinkedIn, email is good. My main email is mandala mediation at gmail.com brilliant in closing paul would you talk about your book please and any workshops that you're doing okay midwives rights are about human rights employment law rights regulatory law rights knowing how to do things and it's not just about law it's about the person how they can find the inner strength to be peaceful and positive so this is in my first book which is new zealand focused as a subsequent one which is uk focused which should be out very shortly. 
Brilliant. And are you doing any workshops in the near future? Or? Yes, I, I'm constantly open for invitations. I'm going to Norway. I've just come back from Austria. I will return to Europe to present more workshops. Thank you very much, Paul, for taking the time today. I appreciate it. I appreciate it too, Mark. Thank you and good luck with this. Um, I love the way part of his work is about bringing together groups that seem to be clashing and, and the way he facilitates those groups coming towards a sort of like a consensus, not a compromise, but a consensus where both sets of opposing teams feel like their needs are being met. I love it. That's interesting in the context of talking about uh, maternity voices partnerships or maternity services liaison committees, as some of them are still called. And I remember when I brought this up a little while ago. Sorry, what are you going to say? I was going to say on our page, we've got the 15 steps for the maternity quality from the perspective of people who use maternity services. Yes. And that's kind of related, really. So um, do you know much about that? A little bit, not much. Reading was one of the pilot sites for it. So I was involved in um, doing one of the first kind of 15 steps um, kind of projects. Oh, really? And what we did was it's based on this quote from a mother who um, had a daughter was ill and in various hospitals and she gave in her feedback. I know within 15 steps of walking onto a ward what the care is going to be like for my daughter. Um, And I think it's used across hospitals. It's not just a maternity thing. So Lisa Ramsey and... um, I love love Lisa Ramsey. We all love Lisa Ramsey. I love her. So Lisa and colleagues in her NHS England role have been rolling this out for maternity departments. And in Reading, we got together and I think we had a team that had um, people like the matron of maternity and one of our obstetricians, a couple of the midwives, a maternity care assistant, student midwife, and quite a few service users, including one in a wheelchair. And in we divided into teams and went into different areas with the 15 steps checklist and just went, how does it feel? 15 steps into this ward, what are we seeing? And, and in the booklet that outlines the toolkit, which I have read, I love the way it focuses on what are you seeing, what are you hearing, what are you feeling, what are you smelling? Yeah. Because it's evoking all the senses to get a really a holistic um, data set. Does yeah. that make sense? And in, in one, I one area, we, I went into a postnatal ward and within 15 steps you've seen the big poster with everyone's faces on saying this is who is it here in this ward and something saying that here's where you can find stuff. Um, you know, directions, um, signposting to other information, sources of support, stuff like that. And that's really nice. But you might go into another area and trip over a pile of boxes. Yeah. I mean, what I like about that booklet is that there's a pro forma for how you go about using the toolkit. And the first thought that uh, occurred to me, this is the data um, fields are imminently, is is that the right word? Imminently auditable. Or yeah. eminently, yeah. <laughs> so, very so actually, auditable. yeah, they, they are very auditable, which means that this is less likely to be a tool that um, doesn't ever get used mm. because it, it will be. First of all, it's it's easy to use because if you're a human being with senses, you can run this. You can use this toolkit, right? Yeah. So if you've got senses, 
you don't even have to have all of them, right? You can be, you, you, you can use whatever senses you've got to receive data in order to make an assessment. And the assessment is so clear and well written um, that the data from it is going to be very useful and is more likely to lead to action. Yeah. It definitely did bring up a really rich discussion once the group got back together afterwards. Yeah, and it, and those rich discussions are more likely to turn into actions because, you know, at the end of the day, discussion's important, but it's only doing that makes a change. Yeah. So um, this we we did this as the beginning of our at the beginning of a maternity voices partnership meeting a few weeks ago, and um, I remember when I first mentioned talking about maternity voices on Sprogcast, you were a bit like oh that box ticking exercise and i know that's yeah not i was go and i was goading you i was being I devil yeah um i know i'm i'm used to that by now yeah but you're right that there is that assumption and you, you haven't made that up out of thin air of course no no i haven't yeah this is a really good example of how those that that multi-user group can work together to really achieve something but I just um, I mean we'll listen in a minute because what I did was take took my uh, microphone along to our last MVP meeting and as many people who's, who could spare me 15 seconds told me why they come along to the maternity voices partnership meetings um, including our, our brilliant obstetrician um, Patrick Bowes and um, Louise Perkins who was on recently and Lisa of course yeah just um, saying what they find is good about it. But I've also noticed on our local hospital's website in the last few days and on their Facebook page that they've changed visiting hours. They've made some wow. changes. Well, what they've done is decrease the amount of time that children can spend on the wards, but increase the amount of time that partners can. And that's okay. a direct result of the Maternity Voices Partnership surveying women about what they want. Very good. I'm not sure what I think about excluding children, but it is a, it is a step. But that's in. what women are saying they wanted, and that's good enough. Good enough for me. I, yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. Yeah, it's not excluding them completely. It's just you know decreasing the amount of time. Yeah. Right. So this is Reading Maternity Voices Partnership at your service. Would you like to tell me who you are and what your role is first? Okay, my name is Dr. Patrick Bowes. I'm an obstetrician and uh, labour ward lead here at Royal Berkshire Hospital. And you've been coming to the Maternity Voices Partnership here for quite some time. What is it that keeps you coming back? Well, I think, first of all, I think in the, the way that we try and deliver obstetrics in this era, it's important, really important to me and I think to my colleagues that we have a real and genuine understanding of what patients want and need and the only way to achieve that is to minimise paternalism and to, to listen to what patients are saying and therefore this is an ideal opportunity to do that. And do you think it's working? Absolutely, 100%, yeah. Have you seen some good things over the years? Very much, I think uh, an example of that might be our, um, well, the, the feedback that we're getting that we can then give to our colleagues and trainee doctors. Um, the projects that I've run in conjunction with Catherine Williams and Lisa are a testament to the fact that we are working together and I'd like to think that they are having an impact on the way that we deliver the obstetric part of, of maternity. Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much. So, Thank you for your no, time. Is that okay? Yes. Okay. So, who are you? I'm Emma Taylor. And you do... 
I'm Vice Chair on Reading Maternity Voices. I've been involved for quite a few years. I started as a service user rep and then I applied for and got the role for Vice Chair. I think things have changed drastically actually since I first joined and sometimes the meetings felt a little bit adversarial, felt a bit us and them between staff and user reps um, and now it's completely different. Um, there's a relationship and everybody's working together and it feels really positive and a lot gets decided and achieved in the meetings that obviously then affects what the service is, is giving to women. Yes, that seems to be what I'm seeing as well. What about specific things you've, you've seen us do? And specifically, we've been listening to women about lots of things. They talked about wanting a change to how induction was carried out. They talked about wanting um, better service for home birth. And both of those have resulted in positive change. We've got an induction suite now and we have a home birth team, which we are now seeing women really reap the benefits of a year on. And the feedback from women is really positive. There's also in the works at the moment um, personalised caesarean birth where women can choose to personalise their caesarean birth to make it exactly how they want it to be within the constraints obviously clinically of what's needed medically um, and we're hoping that that's going to be really exciting and give women you know, more control and more empowerment and feeling ultimately more satisfied with their experience. Yeah, those are achievements to be proud of. <laughs> Thank you. So this is Louise, a friend of the podcast, Louise Perkins. You're called that because you've been on it before. <laughs> that feels like an honour, thanks. It is an honour. No, it's not. I'll have anybody. <laughs> That's not true either. Um, just tell me what you think about uh, maternity voices partnerships and why they're important. I think it's a really invaluable opportunity to have space for a huge range of different service users and those representing all of the variety of um, women and partners and other service users that we have to come together and um, throw ideas around and challenge each other and um, dig down into women's feedback and what that means for us and how we can go on to develop the service it always feels like an inspiring and a challenging and yeah a creative space and I think I think we need that as we go forward developing maternity services right so you're a consultant midwife do you, yeah. and you find this helpful to be yeah, part of yeah hugely helpful yeah and have you worked in other hospitals mm -hmm. before that worked differently with this yes yeah, so I've worked in a few hospitals uh, all of which have had a different approach I think there are like anything in life there are the grass is never greener on the other side entirely I think there are definitely um, groups of individuals where actually there's just a dynamic that is really positive and productive and it feels like we can work towards something that um, yeah we can actually implement yeah. and, and get done and that's that's hugely exciting so ours here in Reading is the best one right of course <laughs> you'll pay me later right <laughs> we'll have you on again <laughs> thank you very much thanks I'm Lisa Ramsey, I'm Chair of Reading Maternity Voices and um, it's a real pleasure to chair a Maternity Voice Partnership. Um, it's a, a fantastic group of people who are all committed to um, seeing maternity services be the best that they can be for women and their partners and their babies and it sits really as um, a bit of a buffer between uh, the community and the staff and commissioners. So. Um, yeah, when we gather together, we're listening to feedback that the volunteer service user reps have gathered out in the communities, and we're hearing from the 
the staff, the midwives and obstetricians and the commissioners um, about uh, how maternity services are um, constantly improving along the way. You know, you're, you're seeing that really happen. Yes, uh, so we've been really privileged here in Reading to be part of some really exciting projects. Uh, so last year we had lots of women giving us feedback about um, planning home births and then not being able to be supported to birth at home. Um, and now there is a fantastic dedicated home birth support team of midwives. Uh, we also have had feedback from women who... Um, wanted to be able to personalise their caesarean birth experiences and we're currently working on a project with uh, midwives and doctors to see that come into place. Mm. So some real, real important changes directly from women's yeah. feedback. So what do you say to the people who claim that a maternity voices partnership is a tick box exercise? Ooh, <laughs> uh, absolutely it can be, but let's make it nothing of the sort. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Thank you, Lisa. Pleasure. So, like Lisa says at the end there, let's not make it a box-ticking exercise. It really is something that can be massively valuable. And it's worth looking at the National Maternity Voices website as well to see what's going on in your area. Um, and they do generally very much welcome input from other service users and staff. So if, if you're a student midwife and you're thinking, what goes on at this, maybe contact the chair and say, can I come along to a meeting? I think they're very unlikely to turn you down. I also chatted to um, Bronwyn Rashad, who has been up to the MAMA conference, which was in Glasgow oh. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I saw um, a lot of tweets. Yeah, I saw a lot of tweets from it. And I would have quite liked to go, but it was slightly inaccessible for me, plus time. And Bronwyn told me a lot about it. And I have, and I apologise, Bronwyn, I have edited it down quite a bit just to fit things in but she's also made a lot of suggestions about people we might like to talk to on this broadcast well, so I will, I, uh... can i just can i just say something to bronwyn mm. I, I know how you feel about being edited bronwyn <laughs> just saying <laughs> so let's let bronwyn tell us about the mama conference Um, I'm Bronwyn Rashad and I'm an NCT antenatal practitioner in Chepso in South Wales and I've recently attended the MAMA conference in Glasgow last week actually and it was really interesting and lots and lots to come away and think about afterwards. Um, the first day was probably more heavily focused towards midwife-led talks and the second day was perhaps more postnatally um, with a few people who were outside of midwifery giving talks. Um, and then it all ended with a really lovely celebration of International Day of the Midwife, which was, you know, very lucky that it was at, at that time. Yeah. Particular highlights for me. There was uh, the new director of RCM Scotland, uh, the Royal College of Midwives Scotland, was Derry, um, Dr. Mary Ross Davy, And she was absolutely fantastic really great communicator really clear and um she had a lovely title to her speech of oh, worse better or the same as it ever was which then meant i had the talking heads um, <laughs> song going through my yeah. mind for the entire day basically she was talking about um nostalgia bias so basically you know that thing of oh call midwife when everyone was on their bikes and it was all wonderful you know that mm. kind of thing romanticizing yeah. the past and actually she was 
sharing us, you know, how things have improved and what, what you know, what ways there are to improve in the future. Who else? Obviously, um, there was Amanda Burley talking about um, optimal core clamping, yeah. which was interesting because the chief sponsor of MAMA conference was Cells for Life, which is a stem cell gathering company. And I know that being a bit of kind of controversy around that, as there often is with lots of conferences about the corporate sponsorship. But what was really interesting was that um, Cass, who's the organiser of MAMA, um, talked about how she had essentially grabbed this man from Cells for Life and ear bashed him about optimal core clamping for quite a long time. At another conference, I think. And he and his team have developed this new technique where they can actually take um, a sample from the, the cord itself rather than the blood. So parents have the option of having optimal clamping and harvesting stem cells if that's something that they actually want to do. Because obviously having someone like Amanda Burley there, who's, you know, she's such a passionate advocate for um, letting the baby have their own blood supply. You know? Yeah. And then having that as a sponsorship, it seemed like a bit of a kind of disconnect that actually made sense. And again, was another really good example of, of that sort of idea of collaboration, which I think was a bit of a theme, really, coming across the whole weekend. Um, Bridget Supple was there from, um, well, not from NCT. She wasn't speaking in her NCT capacity, but she's a practitioner. But she was speaking with the work that she's been doing um, with the microbiome and disseminating information about that and it was a really excellent example of um, how effective people who uh, are practitioners are at communicating. She really got the audience hooked and presented some very clear, very um, well-referenced information about the microbiome and about the areas of research that are currently being undertaken. And another really interesting talk from the second day was um, Jenny Musket, who's this ME and BAFTA uh, nominated British composer she does lots of things for kind of nature documentaries and stuff and told a very funny story about having to do a documentary that was all about animal mothers and uh, one of them was a spider and you know spider mothers they get covered in lots of little tiny spiders and then their milk comes from their back and the spiders are all feeding off the back which obviously is for humans quite a um, difficult image and she was talking about how she'd created music to make you kind of fall in love with the spider and make it beautiful and talking about the power of music generally and her project was that she developed this series of lullabies for mothers and they had basically run a, a research project where they'd played this music to women in pregnancy who had previous issues with anxiety and stress and all they asked them to do was listen to the music for eight minutes a day so not trying to consciously relax not kind of doing anything while the music was on just sitting and letting the music wash over them and there was at the end of the study there was a, a decrease in the women's reported anxiety levels she talked a lot about the effect that music has on our physical bodies and she just got the entire conference audience to sit and listen to one of her tracks just for a minute and a half and honestly it was absolutely beautiful it, i think they should do this more in conferences where they just get everyone to kind of stop absorb what's going on just take a moment and just just be so cool. at the end of the second day, they had a celebration of International Day of the Midwife, which leads quite nicely on to um, the final talk of the Saturday, which was Dr. Amali Lokugamaj, who was a consultant obstetrician and gynaecologist and an author. She wrote Heart in the Womb. Basically, what she was doing was she was giving us the talks that she gives to student obstetrician and gynaecologists mm. where at UCL, where she challenges them to kind of really look at their unconscious biases and at different models of care her learning objectives i think are really key actually because she's she talks about described factors that can impact on a doctor's perception of risk for example defensive medicine post-traumatic stress on perception of risk in doctors considering the limitations to evidence-based medicine 
how does trauma affect a woman's decision? Describe embodied or intuitive decision-making. Define how modern medicine can impact upon human rights in childbirth and interact with feminist issues. And reflect that the social determinants of health impact on women's decision-making. And appreciate how we need to practice nuanced, reflective and humanised maternity care, which I think is a fairly great set of learning objectives. Really clear, really passionate, but in a kind of calm way, if that makes sense. She was, you know, I just really enjoyed her talk. I thought it was, I thought it was one of the massive highlights. Um, and obviously, apart from the speakers, there were lots and lots and lots of um, interesting stands. So I just think having conferences in different parts of the UK, not just Southeast Focus yeah. and Birmingham, is really good. And actually, it was really cheap to get up there. It's really interesting to hear what you thought of it so, as well. So thank you, Bronwyn. What we're going to look at, let, let's look at what's in the news. Um, yeah, So I see that not only have you been invited to Northern Ireland without me. Uh, ah, well, it's funny you should say that. No, I know. Um, I, I did have an email from the organiser inviting me to go as well, but I can't. <laughs> oh, Embarrassingly, sledge, after making a fuss. <laughs> you were going to sledge me when when uh, she actually suggested it, because I don't want you there. No, not quite. <laughs> she said it would be lovely to have you two comparing the whole day. I know, wouldn't it? That would be so much fun. We have to do that. That is our target for next year, Mark. Yeah, if there's a conference organiser out there, we will come and compare the whole day and record it. And maybe, if our producer says it's okay, broadcast it. We'll see. Just don't overpass. I know. You're the producer. That's why I was saying it. Yeah. Um, And also, you're plastered all over the metro. What's that about? Well, I didn't... Well... (laughs) I, I agreed to do an interview with a journalist. I didn't know particularly where they were from, so I didn't know it was the Metro. And it was just a piece about um, men in the in the delivery room. I never said called it a delivery room, but, you know. Mm. So they, uh, they put, it, put it with a picture of a woman, woman on her back, stranded beetle. I had no say over the graphic, no, obviously. Uh, but I quite like the article. Um, I thought it was... Uh, really balanced and it did reflect some of the things i say and you'll know because i say them every week and if people want to read it it's um linked on our page so go and have a look and tell us what you think about it because we like it when people get stuck in on an article we post we do with that in mind i think we should talk about the one that's generated the most comments indeed which is the certified professional doula is a is trained in five core competencies some some people some this this really did um uh, goad some people's values it did didn't it and actually i think mainly it's just a bit oversimplified isn't it and there was a lot of it's a doula is not and i thought that's interesting the the reason for producing this document seems to be quite defensive yeah no i get that and the other thing i made a faux pas because when i said it was a friend of mine i really i did mean a facebook friend of mine yeah. and i made the assumption that it was a uk-based friend of mine and it evidently isn't you know it starts off by talking about a certified professional yeah. doer, and that's just not language we use in the uk is it no yeah it's interesting you talk about the language and uh, assume that uh, it's coming from a, a place of defence, because the use of a negation or is it a, a doula is not 
is a really interesting thing because in order to process it, certainly at an unconscious level, you have to have a representation of what it is um, it's not, which is very interesting. So it suggests um, that they've had potentially some poor experiences with some of these professionals that they are. Yeah. And I absolutely relate to that as well. I can really see where it's coming from. Um, And like you say, it's by nature reductionist because it's an infographic. You can't put the whole debate on an infographic. That is very true. Otherwise, it wouldn't be an infographic. It'd be a billboard. It'd be a billboard. (laughs) 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 But yeah, no, good discussion. I, I, I crave that kind of interaction on our page uh karen i don't know about you well i think we we just need to be more controversial and then we'll get it yeah yeah but we have a policy that we don't make comments or evaluative comments on what we post and we do that on purpose because we're leaving lots of space for people to express their strongly held opinions yeah and uh that's really cool so thank you listeners for making a comment thank you What's inspired you this month, Mark? Me? A book. And it's called Reflections on Living Compassion, Awakening Our Passion and Living in Compassion. I don't particularly like the wording of that, but it's a great book. By Robert, it's by Robert Gon, Gonzales. I spell it G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-S. Uh, I had to get it from America. I think. I don't think it's available in the UK, but it might be. Um... It's a book of meditations, uh, not daily, but they've divided it uh, into really short, readable chunks. Uh, It's influenced by NVC, Nonviolent Communication, and I've been using it from time to time to settle myself and to kind of connect to, um, how can I put it without sounding very woo? I don't think you can. Just go for it. Own it. Come on. All right. All right. All right. I think one of the powerful benefits of learning nonviolent communication isn't necessarily at first in your outward communication, but in the first instance, it's for me, it's about my inward communication, uh, how I talk to myself, about how I treat myself, about self-care. And uh, this book is facilitating my own self-care in that context. And I would recommend it. Excellent. I love it. I've got a, a, a little sub-endorsement to add to that then, which is an app that I'm using called Insight Timer, which is a load of free meditations of many billions of different types, which I, I quite like. It seems to use a lot of bandwidth, but um, it is really nice to just like, right, I've got five minutes, give me a meditation. Or um, it's also got some quite good, helpful things for going to sleep, settling into sleep meditations. And so I've, I've been liking that. Wait, when you say bandwidth, is that referring to the fact that you do it on your desktop? No, I mean, if, if I'm using it when I'm away from home and I'm not on the Wi-Fi, it uses up lots of my data. Ah, oh, got it, got it. I'm going to download that. That sounds great. I think it's brilliant. Um, My thing that I want to talk about is Heather Tricky's research. And I'd like to get Heather on at some point to discuss this. Um, But she's just published um, 
a study about um, how we make sense of the don't drink guidance on alcohol in pregnancy. This is with uh, Rachel Brown and, and herself from their work at the Centre for Public Health Research at Cardiff University. And it's kind of looking at how don't drink guidance on alcohol in pregnancy is interpreted by mums and midwives and antenatal teachers and policymakers in general. So the the Department of Health is all about don't drink because risk to the baby. But the evidence for that, for, for actual harm to the baby, is, is quite low. Yeah. In fact, I think Definitely. the guidance describes it as elusive. Yes. They've basically said that, you know, if, if there's a, even a speck of, even a smidgen of evidence here, we're going to go with better safe than sorry. A bit like the co-sleeping thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. I'll, yeah. Um, so what the study finds is that while midwives often prefer to give very simple messages, some women would prefer to base their decisions on fuller and more nuanced communication of the evidence base. It's often the lowest common denominator when it comes to communicating these things. Yeah. So, so it's easier to audit a binary choice. So that's the thing that I'm recommending. And, and yes, we'd quite like to talk to Heather. Yeah, get her on. Get her on. It's, a, it's an important area, I think. Yeah. So episodes coming up, we're, we're going to pencil Heather in. Um, we've got Helen Gray. I'm really hoping will talk to us about infant feeding in an emergency. But for next month, we've got Mars Lord. And um, she's talking about what she calls cultural competence. But I think is a nice way of saying don't be racist. Did you put that to her? Yes. Right, <laughs> I think good. I, think I, I look forward to it. Yeah. I have already done the interview. Um, so I think that's all All we've got time for today. Um, yeah, what a shame. Looking forward to what people think about it. So let us know what you think on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah, that's facebook.com slash broadcast, at broadcast on Twitter. But if you are listening on iTunes, pause it and go and leave us a, a five-star review. And if, if it's not a five-star review, we'll still want it because any kind of feedback like that is good for us in terms of adjusting and making changes, but also good for increasing uh, our ability to be heard by others. Don't listen to him. Leave us a five-star review. I didn't think it was very subtle, Karen. Oh. But I am reading the script that you wrote, so here we go. <laughs> hey, that's been great, Karen. I've really enjoyed it. Yes, thank you. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Sprogcast with Karen Hall and Mark Harris. The news we've been discussing is on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Sprogcast. And don't forget you can buy great books from pinterandmartin.com using the discount code Sprogcast at the checkout.